I guess I guess we have a, a light crowd tonight. tonight. Yeah, I'm gonna blame it on Dave for scaring everybody off last last time. I'm okay. Yeah, no. Um. Well, tonight we're going to we talk about race, racial identity, and um. I guess along with sexuality and gender, um, race might. Probably the most discussed kind of topic of identity, I think, these days. Man, probably safe to say. Um, and I'm not um, an expert on, you know, race, ethnicity, kind of theory or any of these things. So I'm not trying to speak as a. I'm not. I'm not usurping any, you know, sociologist or something like this in, in that regard. I'm just strictly speaking as a theologian, you know, is trying to reflect a bit on these things from the scripture. Um, that my, my first academic paper that I, that I ever gave, though, was it was, uh, it was dealing with um, uh, oppression of Muslim minorities in the Balkans by Serbian Orthodoxy compared to oppression of African-American minorities in the South by evangelicals. So that I have done, I guess, a little bit of academic work in that regard, and my, my own work sort of brushes on that a bit. Um, but um, but we do, you know, we have to admit from the outset this is not like easy necessarily things to, to think about. There's lots of um, hmm. there's lots of challenges in our own context as it relates to race. And so not something we want to approach flippantly or lightly. So let's pray to that end. Lord, I pray that um, you would be with us tonight as we think through some of these issues and help us. Um, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, before we get like all out into it, um, which, by the way, I don't... If, if you've noticed, we're, there, there's kind of a theme that I think about as it relates to human identity, and that has to do with being oriented, oriented outside of yourself for and towards the other. So we, we I think about that as, as sort of the baseline of what it means to be human in lots of different categories, and race would be no exception to that. So at, you know, from the onset, from our first week, we, we talked about the theological question of identity. So what what is sort of unique about a theological approach to questions of human identity? What's what's sort of the methodology that we take as you know, theology as opposed to something like sociology or biology or psychology? We have a manual. <laughs> okay, we have a, we have a different source of of information, Foundation. one might say, right? So um, the, the sciences look at the human person or human experience or something like that and draw inferences, and that's very important. Like, you do not want me operating on you, right? Like, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. That's not my expertise. So um, there are, there's value in, in, you know, observing a human subject in all sorts of ways. Marty, you've just doubled our doubled our our crowd. I feel like um, I'm gonna warm it up. Yeah, <laughs> just by your mere presence. Um, 
But yeah, it's the, our approach methodologically is we're looking at God's revelation about us, right? And, and as such, our question is different, right? Our question is not to extend knowledge of ourselves. What, what's the question that theological anthropology asks? What does God think about us, right? So Psalm 8 is sort of our, our thesis statement. What is man that you were mindful of him? Like, so what is, so as it relates to Christian identity then, like we've said all along, um, the question is not what do I think about myself? What's my sense of self? It's about conforming my sense of self to God's sense of myself. Okay, so just a reminder, that's, even as it relates to race, that's kind of what we're after, um, but as we talked through that, we looked at um, that to be God's sense of myself, right, uh, means that I'm in his image. It means that I'm in covenant relationship. I'm a covenant partner with him. It means, means I receive my identity outside myself. It means that I accept that by faith, right? It's something that's revealed and, and given to me, um, and we talked about how Christian identity is justification in the sense that um, God's address of me is what gives me value. I don't establish my own identity. I'm never meant to bear the weight of my own self, right? That's not a task given to humans. That's a task that is God's. He bears the weight of our own selves, right? So, um, and as such, that gives me freedom then to be justified to others, Right, I can I can affirm the value of others that God has has given um, via creation. So I'm I'm free from myself. I'm free to help others see that. And then when we talked about gender and sexuality, we began to apply some of that, and we concluded as God's image bearers, our identity again is oriented towards and for each other. So when my sense of myself is conformed to God's sense of myself, I understand myself as part of a mutually dependent network of relationships that's ordered by covenantal commitments. So who I am fundamentally is someone who's in community, who needs others and is needed by others, right? And so that, we talked then what some of the implications of that were for sexuality. So my sexuality is not my own. It exists in the framework of community. It belongs to the other in all that network of relationships, whether that's a spouse or that's a, a parent, uh, that's my parents or my kids or siblings or cousins or other people in the church. Like all my sexuality is grounded, found in that uh, network of relationships, not for my own disposal. Okay. Um, so. We're going to then think about what that means for issues of race and ethnicity. So what does it mean that I'm oriented towards and for the other, and I exist in this network of relationships? What does that mean for race? But before we do that, there's one other thing I want us to think about. And we've talked about this a lot in like Sunday school, and but I think it's worth hitting because in questions of, of racial identity, the uh, justice is thrown around a lot. Right. So, what are some ways justice and race coincide right now? So 
literally justice yeah the justice system right so there's a, a recognition that that there's some way in which our justice system has failed perhaps definitely um, a particular group of people right sort of universally what people believe is just okay yeah, uh, interesting. Maybe we have changing definitions of just, right? That are, yeah. Or some other. Yeah, I mean, we just, I don't think we get it. We, we, racial, racial justice is, a, is, is part of our, our concerns today as a society, and rightfully so. And so I think, before we jump into race specifically, I think it's important to think about justice and righteousness real quick. Because righteousness and justice go together in the scripture, right? They're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. So what is righteousness? It's got your definition from Isaiah. Mm. Something along the lines of um, community and mm-hmm. um, and treating or being unified in community or um, considered a community or, or looking out for others in the community. Yeah, so, right, so righteousness is fundamentally a communal word. Righteousness, sometimes we think about righteousness in terms of like personal morality or something like that, which that's true. I don't want to like discount that. But fundamentally, righteousness is a communal term, and that's how it's used throughout the scripture. Um, that's the foundation that's laid for it in the, the Old Testament. First time we see righteousness is, is when Noah shows up. Remember, like the world is descending into chaos and nobody is, like everybody's always violent towards everyone all the time. Like it's a breakdown of the community. But Noah, right, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man, right? That's juxtaposed to that, right? Um, then we see Abraham declared righteous, but then we see that enacted it, again, in a juxtaposition with Sodom and Gomorrah, where a community is broken down, but righteousness is when the community is functioning. So the, the, the definition I like of righteousness is, is what Robert Jensen uh, articulates this way. We're created to be righteous. That is to form one community with each other and the persons of the triune God, in which each of us takes her or his unique place and he uses that place as an opportunity to love the rest of us. Okay, so righteousness is a situation in which each person in the community is fully engaged, right, is using their unique gifts, talents, abilities to love and serve the other members. Okay, so everything that's unique about you, right, is finds a place in that community to love and serve, right? And that's a mutual thing. And that, that community includes the triune God and all of us. Right. So what happens, though, is sin tears that community apart right? in all sorts of different ways, various ways. Um, it, and so that results in unrighteousness. We have a situation in which the community is uh, not functioning that way, where every person is not fully included using their uniqueness for the benefit of the other. In fact, unrighteousness in the Bible would be like, no one's righteous. <laughs> like, there's no situation in which that, right? So justice, then, in the scripture, is the restoration of righteousness. Justice is when that situation is re- redressed. Sorry, could you say that again? Oh. My apologies. Yeah, thank you, Siri. I couldn't hear what you said. Siri's going to let us know what's going on. <laughs> we should just ask Siri. Um, 
the, uh, so justice re- addresses this. Sometimes that, so justice says, well, these people are excluded from the community, so how do we re-include? Or this person's a threat to the community, so how do we either take care of that or sometimes exclude, right, for the sake of the other? Um, so justice is complex, but it's all about restoring the community, restoring the right relations within the community. And so racial justice is, is just that. When groups of people are excluded from the community, it's about finding ways to fully include, right? Um, where everybody's using their uniqueness for the benefit of the other. Okay. Um, so that way, right, righteousness is really practical, by the way. Like, it's not, it's not just up here at some moral plane. Like, righteousness is like, um, like a banker, <laughs> like providing a good financial structure for the community. That's, that's righteous work. Um, a doctor, right, helping maintain the physical health of the community. A teacher, right, helping other people mature and find their place in the community. Um, maybe a lawyer could be possibly, right? No, definitely should look out for the interests of, of others in the community. Architects, builders, key people in a community, right? Where people live and connect, right? So righteousness is super practical. Um, but that also means that unrighteousness finds its way in super practical ways too, right? All those things can be distortions and we find distortions all along in there. So there's a need for, for justice. Well, um, the restoration of righteousness. So then, let's move on to thinking a little bit about, about race and racial identity. So, first of all, um, human beings exist in groups. Are you aware of this? Yeah. What? Now, why do we do that? We need each other, okay? So there's a positive aspect that we, yeah, well, in what ways do we need each other? I mean, like, today I had to get my tire fixed, and I can't do that. <laughs> exactly. So there's all sorts of ways in which we need, right? We're, we're social animals, and we function in that way, right? But as Marty just alluded to, uh, he went right there to our battle. Sometimes... Communities can be used to do terrible things. All right, so let's, we'll think about what, what are some of the community, what are some of the groups in which we exist? What are the groups that we form? What groups are you in? More than I can think of. <laughs> Your family, right? You've got family groups. Family, neighborhood, neighborhood, workplace environments, yep, uh, church environments, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, youth sports environments. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's a fun. I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah, hobbies, country club, I suppose, uh, professional associations, genders a group, right? It's kind of a big group, kind of, you know. Only uh, two of those. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We talked about that. Um, age. Okay, so we group people by ages or grades often, right? Um, how about, um, uh, let me, well, how about this? Are, are groups inherently bad? Some can be. Right, some can be. So what are, what are some inherently bad groups? 
The okay, KKK feels like there's no redeeming value, right? Okay, good. Hate groups in general, right? Yeah, absolutely. What's another bad group to be in? The mob. Okay, excellent. Mafia. Drug cartels, right? I feel like that one's probably a negative, right? All, all, all around. They're just like, so, <laughs> so yeah, so there's groups that we inherently belong to. There's some that are bad, but most are not. I mean, most groups we find ourselves in are just that. They're groups, and we just, we just exist that way. And that's kind of assumed, right? Now, how then does Christian identity apply to the fact that fundamentally we tend to group ourselves. By the way, I'll have one, one other negative group. That would be like the clique, right? Yeah. The group that's like, I need to find protection for myself, so let's, let's, cliques are less about what you have in common, more about what we can identify as abnormal, who <laughs> we can exclude, right, um, from that, from that. So, we, we, you know, that, that happens. Like, middle school is a great case study for humanity in general, I feel like, and that you can see where, where groups form that aren't so good, that are all, you know. Yeah, but it's also, you can, I mean, this is not the topic of our discussion, yeah. but, but I think cliques can be positive because I saw with my own son that for protection, he went to this clique. Yeah, so sometimes when you're othered. When you're faced with a social lack, it, yeah, you have to sometimes defensively. Yeah, if you're sort of in the, so that's an important thing because we'll think a little bit about that when you find yourself oppressed. Let's say, even though like oppression in that scenario is not, you know, nearly the, but but when you find yourself at the bottom of that social ladder, sometimes you gotta you gotta like circle the wagons, or right? Just lonely. Yeah, yeah. So how do all right? So then, like, how does this? So let me ask you this. Our group identity is part of your unique distinctiveness. It's part of what makes you you, and therefore part of what allows you to love somebody in unique ways. It, it gives you a, a unique place, right, in the community. So um, how, how is it that, that groups can, like, give me some ways that a group, your group identity can be an occasion for you to love and serve the other? Okay. In what way? Well, I mean, we're part of a community that is supporting, you know, sharing the gospel around the world. Okay, yeah. So you've got, right. Church is a community. Sure. It's a big one. Yeah. For us. When, when you're part of a group, you know that groups means. Okay. You can actually serve to those needs. Okay. Within the group? Within the yep. group. Yep, sure. Um. Yeah, so the, I mean, there's something about actually. There's groups are not bad in themselves to to have special, unique relationships within the group, and those are te- those are structured by covenants, right? So, like, I should have a unique, special relationship with my wife, right? That's unique, right? And that meets her needs because her needs are higher than other categories, right? Um, same thing with your kids, same thing with, right? So, so there's something about that. Yet that very grouping together is meant to give you a place, a greater place to serve in the community. I remember, I think about yeah. like, she, 
shared experience. So like mm -hmm. a grief support group. Mm -hmm. People in a grief support group have lost. Yeah. And so they have a unique opportunity to support each other and to care for each other and to encourage each other and to continue to grieve with one another. Right. Okay. No, absolutely. So how then does your group identity give you an opportunity to love and serve somebody outside the group? What are some ways groups help you love and serve someone outside your group? I think it depends on the group because... Not KKK. Right, yeah. Right. But, but most <laughs> groups have a, a unique affinity or commonality mm -hmm. or shared experience that give them a unique opportunity to reach outside their group to those same kind of felt needs and the, the people that share those affinities or again like a, a grief support group a shared experience however negative it might be um, so it's what is it about the group that makes us unique that we could steward that for the sake of someone who's not currently with us. Yeah. An example, that's just like charity work. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like socioeconomic status can be a group. And you happen to be affluent. You have more opportunity than to pool, to give resources, to help. Right? Um, I, I think about this. Um, uh, I had a basketball coach who was, who was pretty good about being like, like as you know, if you're on the like varsity basketball team, whatever, your number one job in the school is to serve that kid who is out on the outside. And so you've got this unique place as somebody who's kind of looked up to that you you uh, when you go to that kid who's sitting by himself at the table, you've got you've you just inherently have more ability to get that to right to include that person. Right. So that's an example that you use your, your your group status to go to go love and serve the other. I mean, my argument is this, that that any group you find yourself in. The whole reason you're in that group is to love and serve the other, period. And you're, you're called to do that as an individual. So whatever that group gives me as an individual gives me a, a, an individual opportunity to love and serve in the other. But the other thing I would argue is that the group itself exists to love and serve the other if we're patterned after the one in whose image we're made. Think about I mean, the Trinity. We've got to be real careful we don't draw too straight a line between the Trinity and community, you know, human communities. But, I mean, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we talked about how oriented towards each other Right? But collectively, what does that do? I don't know. Creates us. Right? We exist because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are oriented towards each other in such a way that together they want to generate life. Right? So any sort of group that we find ourselves in, the only reason that, that group exists fundamentally is for the other. And this includes even our families. Right. Sometimes we forget the fact that we're, we're not meant just for each other. We're, we're meant for each other so that we can love and serve outside our own family. Right. Um, however, those look. So then let's think about. So you can tell I'm laying a foundation, like what I'm thinking about as a terms of you, you know, you can tell where I'm going as it relates to race. So let's let's think about race. Like, what is race?
it's a harder question than it's. It is, and should be, right? Right, it's a trick question in some ways, right? Because race, as we, as it's as it's used today, is a relatively new category, right? So race, especially thinking about there's only five or six sort of subgroupings that all humanity kind of fall into or whatever. I think that's very like 17th century idea, 18th century idea. Um, it doesn't really emerge before then as a category. Ethnicity is still, which is still actually a relative, I mean, you don't see ethnicity as a term used a lot uh, until the 1960s, 70s in academic circles. But ethnicity is probably a closer idea to what, to what we're getting at. So, you know, I'll, I'll give you some definitions. Um, race. This is the Human Genome Research Institute. It says, race is a fluid concept used to group people according to various factors, including ancestral background, social identity. Race is also used to group people that share a set of visible characteristics, such as skin color, facial features. Though these visible traits are influenced by genes, the vast majority of genetic variation exists within racial groups, not between them. Race is an ideology, and for this reason, many scientists believe that race should be more accurately described as a social construct, not a biological one. I mean, that, that's pretty standard scientific opinion about race. Right? It's, it's actually not a, a good category. It's not a good taxonomic category for human beings. What's that word? Taxonomic. Taxonomy is to, to categorize. Yeah, yeah. Um, ethnicity uh, is... Again, maybe maybe closer, especially as we're thinking about the scripture to what's described in the scripture. Ethnicity: a large group of people have the same national, racial, cultural origins. Like that, that's kind of more the idea of, of ethnicity. You have you have these shared culture, you have a shared place from where you're from. You know, we can all kind of trace our ancestry back to some group. Again, we're we're kind of good at creating groups, I feel like. so, But we, we get intuitively a little bit about what ethnicity is. It's, it's my people, right? Um, and we're, little, I mean, it's harder to see that, I guess, in the U.S. once, you know, but, um, you know, I'm a, proud of my French roots. And, you know, some of you could probably tell me where you're from. So, well, I think we kind of get that. But in, in the scripture, you know, we, you don't really, race is not a category per se, Ethnicity is probably closer, but what the terms are tend to be peoples, nations. It's some, it's some, sometimes those terms are translated race, but they don't mean the same thing because that would be an anachronism. Um, but it has to do with your kind of your people, your people group. Um, and so let me give you like some bullet point ideas. I think, I, you know, this is not an exhaustive list. But this is what I, th I think we can deduct, you know, uh, some, some, some foundational bits about what race ethnicity really is in the scripture. First, I think the scripture just assumes a division of ethnicity or nationality, whatever. It doesn't really tell us much about what this is, right? Like, find, like you, we don't go to the Bible to try to find a definition for what it means, what an ethnic group should be, right? The Bible just sort of, us talks about like us being in groups, right? So you've got like, what are some of the like groups that are, you know, come, I don't know, Genesis, right? You see Genesis 10, right? After the flood, you know, you have this genealogies that are given. And then here's, here's where, I know, here's where the, yeah, the, these guys eventually settled in Egypt and they became what are called the Egyptians. And these people settled over here and 
you know, that became the Canaanites, and these people came, you know, it's like this, this list that kind of gives us some, some information about sort of where some ethnic groups kind of came from. Uh, you know, the same thing Tower of Babel tells us a bit about how you know, people were scattered, but, but it doesn't really, it's not meant to define that. It just assumes. And, and I think, um, I think, well, let me ask you this. Why do these groups exist? Why, are there eth- why is there ethnic variation in the world? Why aren't we all just like, why don't we all just look alike? Act like, have the same kind of culture or same. I mean, is that a... Well, I think that there's a, a positive aspect of it of under, be fruitful and multiply. Um, that we've all expressed and created, cultivated culture yeah. in different places around the world that whether it's the environment or something about other something else about the land that really define I mean, you just think I think of like Polynesians. They're people of the sea, right? I mean, I think of like place. Place yeah, can certainly place, affect how places, how we yeah. think culturally, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, I, this Paul's sermon in Acts seventeen is always strikes me here. He says, you know, the whole thing. Uh, he, he's at Mars Hill, and the you know, there's the altar to the unknown god, and he says, well, what that which you worship in ignorance, I now proclaim to you, right? Um, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all humanity life and breath and everything. And he made from one human every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods, boundaries of their dwelling place. So Paul says, God created from one every nation, so all the diversity that we see, both in their space where they live and the time in which you live. Why? What does he say? Yeah, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And it was groping around, right, even though he's not that far from one of us. So Paul says... Whatever national ethnic diversity we find in the world, along with where that lo- is located, along with the time frame in which they live, is to maximize that each of those people's seeking God and finding him. That's why those exist. Fascinating. Um, and God wants to be found in that way by those people in their particularity. Right. Um, I, think, I think that's a really interesting fascinating but again the bible doesn't necessarily explain all that but that's the that's reality all right so assumes ethnicity and attributes it to god but second the scriptures describe how ethnic groups and or nations collectively sin against each other okay so the individual tendency towards selfishness disadvantaging other all the things that are true about my sinful heart are magnified in, in national ethnic groups, right? The Bible just describes that. What are some ways the Bible describes that? Mark? 
Marty had an answer earlier, Babel, <laughs> right? Uh, what happens when a bunch of sinners get together and they all kind of get along, you know, speak and communicate effectively? They immediately throw up, like, uh, alternatives to God, right? They attempt to usurp God's place, right? <laughs> yeah. I would say as far as the different nations and the different cultures are reflecting to some degree how um, fallen they are in what particular ways they are willing to um, you know, not obey God or the disobedience mm. of God shapes, you know, the U.S. or shapes this part of in a different way that it. Mm. And it's you know what I mean. I'm not saying one's worse or better. You're saying that we have our unique expressions of sin of in the world. Go. Fair enough. No, that's right. And well, you see that both in the way in which we create false religions, so that those are varied or what we do to various groups of people, right? Who's sort of the first nation that in the Bible you encounter that's sort of the bad guy at first? Egypt. Yeah, Egypt kind of shows up, right? I mean, which is Egypt's kind of trouble. Well, I mean, Egypt's a very old civilization, so, you, so you, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, especially as it relates to the oppression of Israel, right, of, of that community, right? Um, you see there's a nation that's collectively sinning, collectively acting together to do something harmful to someone, right? And then there's lots of them that do that, whether that's, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But and I would argue that every nation, because we're all sinners, every ethnicity, every group that you find, not just in terms of ethnicity or race, but every group you find ends up, because we're sinners, because we're fallen, using that collective, like collectivity for, for evil. Now, because we're made in God's image, you still see echoes of good being done by those too, right? And, though, and those groups are not inherently bad. As we said, God created them for a particular reason. But we have a tendency to collectively, our depravity gets collectively expressed, right? Um, and I would argue too, this sin is often structurally enacted. What do I mean by that? Say that again? It's structurally enacted. I mean, does that mean like, it's, I mean, there's, you think of the oppression of the, of the Hebrews by, uh, by Egypt. I mean, they had foremans and taskmasters and they answered, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's what part, part of the passage we're looking at this Sunday is, you know, the, the foremans go directly to Pharaoh, right? They, they skip steps, you know, yeah. to go to the top. There's a system in place to perpetuate oppression beyond an individual, right? So, so this perpetuation of the oppression happens once those you can take you can interchange the individuals. It doesn't matter. It's going to continue on that way. You see that in, in Israel when it says like the, the, your courts are unjust, right? There's no there's nowhere for for the the poor person to go to get a right decision because they're all crooked, right? So there's, that's an example of systematic, right? Where there's no, the systems are such that they're broken and they, they are rigged for the oppressor rather than the oppressed, right? Um, and, and of course we know of ways that happens here. We'll talk hopefully about that. Here. Um, sorry, we're going a little slow. Um, 
But I will say this, impersonal structures don't supersede individual responsibility, right? They're, they're interrelated. The Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't come down on one side or the other about individual responsibility or collective responsibility or structural. Like we're, we're, that's, we're really screwed up is kind of the bottom line, individually and collectively. And we just have to realize that, right? Uh, all right, third thing. Uh, the scriptures specifically protect people of other ethnicities, na- nationalities, and prohibit mistreatment of others based on ethnicity or national affiliation. Okay, so who's the sort of the person that the, the person that's always referred to over and over, emphasized in the scripture that is the other in like Israel's community? Sojourner. The sojourner, right? So the sojourner becomes this like really important you know, figure, right, that the sojourner is explicitly protected as a major point of emphasis in the law and the prophets. Who's the sojourner? Anybody who's not from around here, who, who's, who's an other, right? So that person, like you have in like Deuteronomy 24, explicitly the court system cannot be rigged against that person. You give equal justice to your fellow Israelite and to the sojourner. Right, they deserve that. The, your crops that that you that you don't harvest all the way to the edges. It's for the poor, but it's also for the sojourner. And importantly, Deuteronomy ten tells us that I mean, there's you know God talks about His heart, and He says He says you love the poor widow orphan sojourner. Why? Because you were a sojourner in Egypt, and I rescued you. And then He says the next thing He says therefore love the sojourner. It's, it's the only bit of the law that's like so explicitly tied to God's heart that that you love these people and the sojourners paramount of that group because that's who God is. That's how God's oriented towards the other like that. So the scripture specifically protects that. Uh, And interestingly, the scripture holds ethnic groups accountable for their actions. Isn't that interesting? God punishes groups What's some examples of that? Egypt again, right? Suffers, right? Well, yeah, well, well, yeah. And so they, they 400 years later, and then the plagues come, right? There's, there's, there's reparations given at the end, right? They live. So what's been taken is given back. Um, And then we've seen, just seen that in the oracles to the nations in Sunday school, Right, God is is dealing with groups of people who are behaving badly. Right, so He holds those people responsible as groups. Yet that never crosses, that never violates an individualism. So, like this, I think it's an important thing. God, the general, never supersedes the specific in God. Right. So even though God is coming as judging nations or groups together, there's always specific like rescue going on. Who would that like? Who would that be in the scripture? Okay, so so yeah, so he's not held right along with Sodom, right? Um, how about Rahab or Ruth or a lot of Jesus' genealogy, right? Because there's a point being made there, right? These people are bring are being rescued from from out from among what's going on there. There's always a remnant. Um, But, interestingly, not only does God hold groups responsible, but individuals in the scripture take responsibility for the sin of the group. 
in the Old Testament who's sort of the paramount of that. Like Daniel. Remember Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9? Like he's confessing his people's sin. Daniel didn't do any of that stuff. But he's confessing it. Why does Daniel need to confess that? Why does he take individual responsibility for the group, both present and past? Well, I mean, for one thing, I think he understands, like the scripture understands the, the, the interconnectivity of these things, right? And Daniel recognizes that too. I maybe not had done that, but I'm a part of that, right? And Jesus might be the, well, definitely is the ultimate of that. Jesus takes personal responsibility for the sin of all humanity. Right? So part of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to be willing to take responsibility for things that you didn't even do for the various groups that, to which you belong. Um, all right. Next, Scripture reveals that salvation is enacted by God to and through ethnic groups. God's salvation is enacted to and through ethnic groups. So what's an example of an ethnic group experiencing God's salvation? Well, Israel, right? I mean, yeah, we're in Exodus right now, so we're going to see that. What are some other ethnic groups that we see? Who's, who's the missionary prophet? Jonah. What does he do? He goes to a group and God rescues. He enacts salvation for a group, for the Assyrians, right? Um, and through, he does it through groups, and namely Israel is the prime example of that, right? That it's through it, this group, this community, that God brings salvation to the world. That's their original purpose. You're given to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, right? You're meant to, to mediate God to the rest of the world, and to represent him, to display who he is, right? So groups are very important in terms of in ethnic groups. You know, national groups are very important in God's design for how it is that he saves. Um, and so interestingly, is the scriptures preserve ethnic distinctions after Christ? So before Christ, you see this, right? God's saving work is not doesn't doesn't do away with ethnic distinction. We just saw this last week in uh, Sunday school in Exodus or in Isaiah 19. Right? Egypt and Assyria are in, are part of God's people, but they're not like absorbed into God's people. They maintain a, a distinct like identity, yet they are part of participants in, in God's covenant community. After after. Uh, Christ comes, you still see this. What like, what about um, Revelation seven, right? What's who? Who do we see? Snapshot of heaven or whatever the throne room, and who's there? People from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, right? So there's there's a distinction that's maintained, yet in Christ the covenant community is co is considered a new ethnic group, right? So what is how does First Peter refer to us. You are what? A chosen nation, right? A, a royal, he uses the same language that's given to Israel, right? Um, Paul is even more explicit in Ephesians 2. What does he say? This barrier has been broken down and I've made one new humanity, one new human from the two, 
It's a new creation, and there's a new category of human existence that's going on that supersedes ethnic, right? Um, and um, But even with that, um, it's important to note that social divisions, including race or ethnicity, are not to be tolerated in the church, period, right? Acts 15, right? The church wrestles about that from the beginning. What do we do with our ethnic diversity, right? And that's not meant to be a point of division whatsoever, even though that's fine for that identity to be, to be maintained. Okay, so given these scriptural things, there's more that we could pull out of that, but given the things that, you know, these few things that I looked at, um, what does this mean for race and ethnicity for our context in Birmingham, Alabama? We have six minutes. Um, <laughs> first of all, should race or ethnicity be a part of our identity as Christians? No. So, that's just just like with everything, there's no simple answers to complex. <laughs> right. So, should, should I be like, hey, I'm pretty... My last name, Levier, I'm pretty proud of my French. And, I, and it's fine for me to, to say that part of my identity is that I've descended from, you know. Isn't all of your identity in Christ? Yeah, sure. Standing before the throne, people from every tribe, tongue, nation. I think you can still count it as part of your identity as long as that doesn't supersede, you know, the fact that your true self is found in Christ and who you are is actually in Christ. And as we said before, God created all of these people to be unique and to be, you know, different. And that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. We yeah. don't need to, I think, completely separate ourselves from that, saying we can't have any kind of labels that are put on this. But understanding that all of that comes straight from God. It's, I mean, yeah, so if, if he created me in this unique way in time and space... Again, the question the question of Christian identity is what does God think about me? And part of what God thinks about me is that he should make me in this way. And so it's okay for me to be, like understand that that's part of what makes me who I am. What God's made me to be is this particular history. Right? So I actually think that yeah, it's it's okay for us to say that that's part of who I am because it's part of who that's how God placed me in the world um, how how does that present an opportunity to love and serve others if that's if it's true that God created this as part of each one of us our history and our and who we're related to and how we came about in time and space what does that how does that give you a unique opportunity to love and serve the other It should be um, an inherent humility. Okay. And, uh, the, the, the ground is, you know, all level, equal level, mm-hmm. foot of the cross. Yeah. And so, um, 
we can affirm the race and ethnicity of others um, as God-given, and there's no, there's nothing derogatory or negative about those. Which all over the world we look at different races and ethnicities with you know, derogatory ways. So whatever it means for me to be a white male of European descent in Birmingham, Alabama that has to mean that I use that, whatever that means, as an opportunity to love the other that I encounter. And importantly, to be loved by the other. Right, because we're not about, we're here to rescue everyone. Right, but I'm here to, because I need the other. Um, I think, I think it's complex. Like, um, this one of the things we said in the first week is that the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is make us more unique, more distinct. Like, spiritual gifts are what, the, right? The spirit, like, you get, like, the Spirit's work is, is about distinctiveness. And one of the things that we do as whatever group we're associated with in all the categories that we are, including race, ethnicity, whatever, is that I am really dependent on the Holy Spirit to help me know how to navigate that for the benefit of the other and for them to benefit me, right? Um, let me ask you this. Have race, ethnicity been occasions to reflect and enact sin in our own context? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of, I mean, part of, by the way, me having a history is being honest about that history, right? Um, and like we saw, taking responsibility for all of that history entails, right? As a justified person, as someone who God says yes to, even in this complex history of brokenness. Um, so race, uh, obviously, in our own context, there's lots of ways in which sin has been enacted by groups in our context. The way this land was first settled by European people, right? There were other people who were here who are not here, right? Um, in, in Canada, that was much more of a, of a thing. Like, people were more sensitive to the First Nations, but... A lot of that had to do because more survived. Like, we just don't have any survivors. Like, we have very few relatively here. Like, so we recognize that, right? We're honest about that. What a, and then, of course, there's the enslavement that's happened, right? Um, uh, and then after Civil War, we have structures meant to perpetuate the exclusion of African Americans from full inclusion in society. That's everything from outright obvious segregation to the way mortgages <laughs> were went out to the way education happens to the way highways were built. We drive, I mean, today I was driving down 5920, right? That highway was put there intentionally where it was to block off communities, right? So <laughs> that's complex. Like, do I keep using that highway? What do I do, you know? Um, and I would argue uh, we see this in our world. Like we, we have a lack of global political concern for uh, oftentimes for 
places like like why is it that we are willing to put sanctions on Russia for Ukraine but weren't for Syria? Right. I know that's complex. I mean, there's a lot more to like, but you get that like when when there's big ethnic cleansing in Rwanda, there's not a lot of up in arms going on from us. Why? Right. So and we understand that the church actually has contributed to a lot of these things. So let me ask you this. All right, two, two things and we'll close, sorry. Um, should we individuals feel some sense of responsibility for that reality? Yeah, yeah, how? Well, we don't have time, so we're not going <laughs> to. Uh, but yes, I think think it is appropriate to, and how we navigate that, maybe we need more time to think about. Um, it's easy to say I wasn't a part of that. I, I know as a kid, like I moved here from you know, the north, and so it was kind of like, yeah, this, we weren't part of all this. But I think as a, you know, I grew up, and it was like more understanding, no, I, I, I actually am immersed in this network of broken relationships. Um, so how do we address these things? I, I will I will say just three practical things real quick, and I I get this from what's his name, Jamar Tisby. Yeah, I think he he had, he had an interesting book that I thought had some really he had just three quick things. He says first awareness, like you educating ourselves about the reality is really important. So continuing to do that to understand, embrace the you know truth is the first part of reconciliation, right? We have to, we have to be honest about what happened. We, so we need to know. Relationships is the second thing, and I think that's probably maybe the key one. How do you overcome things like this? You do this on a very particular way. You and I can't tomorrow change anything about the structural thing. Maybe, maybe if you have a political appointment or something like that, you could. But my dining room table, your dining room table, can be a place of using who you, your, your group for the benefit of another and, and to benefit from the other, right, in very tangible ways. And so it's about, fi- you know, those that are other than us engaging in relationships with intentionally. And then the third thing is this commitment. Any way in which I have a sphere of influence, I'm determined to use that in, in a just way, right, just restoring righteousness, bringing full inclusion into the community. Um, not farming that out to somebody else, but using whatever whatever place I find myself in, like doing that. Um, okay, well, I hope that was somewhat helpful to give us some way of thinking about starting to think about some of these things, probably raise more questions than answers, and that's usually, usually a good thing, actually. Um, so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for, Lord, we do thank you for the unique ways in which you've made us. Lord, you've placed us in our families, in our place and time and social situation, and we don't know why, but we're grateful for that, and we receive that with gratitude. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to learn how to use that for the other. Um, Would we um, live out what it means to be made in your image and lives in this network of relationships that are complex Um, But by your spirit, you would help us to be faithful um, 
to be just, to be restoring righteousness in your world, um, and give us wisdom and grow us in how to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.